Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, March 31. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. Hey, Annika. Hey, Tom. On today's briefing, we take you to the US-Mexico border where thousands of migrants are arriving every day. It was baffling to me before I went to even think that a 10-year-old child would travel across the border, across the Rio Grande River on a raft without their parent. So as that happens, a political fight is brewing where Joe Biden's being accused of locking kids in cages. That is our briefing topic in just a moment. We'll get to the bottom of that. First, here are the big news stories of today. Brisbane's second biggest hospital has been closed and there are fears over a potential super-spreading hen's night as Queensland continues to battle the latest COVID outbreak. We just have to take this day by day. The big question will be whether or not we see unlinked community transmission. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk there speaking, saying it was good news so far as most of these cases are linked. Yeah, so to break down uh, the latest figures, there were eight new community cases yesterday in Queensland. Two of them are historic cases. The other six are known contacts of previous cases, uh, including five of them who are at the Byron Hens party that the COVID-positive Brisbane nurse attended. Now, one of those five was the male stripper who was at that party. He also then worked as a tradie at a Gold Coast aged care home. It's just so unfortunate that this outbreak has occurred when it did another month and all of these staff would absolutely have been protected. That was Queensland's Chief Health Officer, Dr Jeanette Young there. Federal health authorities yesterday warned the situation in Brisbane is escalating and declared the city a COVID hotspot. Which means Easter's being thrown into disarray for millions of people, uh, not just the the millions of people in Brisbane who could uh, still be in lockdown by the weekend, but uh, all states except New South Wales have imposed some degree of border ban on Brisbane residents and they're urging their residents not to travel to Queensland. So lots of cancelled bookings in that already struggling tourism sector. It's also raising massive question marks for Byron Bay. It's got Blues Fest and thousands of people planning to turn up there for Easter holidays. So we'll all be watching that one very closely. To politics, and the federal coalition government has sworn in its new ministry over Zoom, while Labor has also held its national conference remotely. Victory over the pandemic, followed by victory for those whose sacrifices made it possible. Labor leader Anthony Albanese speaking there. Mr Albanese used the conference to promise Labor would deliver sound and honest government and said that Labor was hearing Australian women loud and clear. So they sound like pretty uh, broad principles, um, Annika. Given lots of Labor's policies were scrapped after the uh, 2019 uh, election, which many said was unlosable, do you have much sense of what their policy platform will look like going ahead into next year's election? Yeah, look, we're due to have an election within the next 18 months and they have started to roll out some policies. Where we see them really challenging the government is probably superannuation and childcare and the environment. Now, they're not going to go as hard as, say, Bill Shorten went on uh, environmental policies that it was said scared a lot of people. But we know today they're going to look at um, cutting tariffs on electric cars, plans to install batteries. There'll be a strong focus on gas and manufacturing so that people don't feel that going to a green future will actually see their jobs lost. In terms of childcare, there's massive rebates, bigger than what the government are offering. And they're also looking at a policy to have six months paid maternity leave for parents, which is quite big, quite significant. It does cost taxpayers a lot of money though. So they'll be the major two areas and superannuation as the government try and cut 
some uh, sort of promised super in the future, they're going to go bigger. They want a 15% super guarantee, which is mm. quite a point of difference. Okay, so as Labor were discussing their policies yesterday, Scott Morrison was uh, signing in that new cabinet over Zoom and the ceremony marked the first time that the scandal-plagued ministers Christian Porter and Linda Reynolds had been seen. They were sworn into their new ministry roles. And leaders in the New South Wales government are calling on one of their MPs to resign from Parliament after he allegedly texted a sex worker multiple times from inside the chamber. The ABC reported on this last night. It's New South Wales national member for the Upper Hunter, Michael Johnson, who was texting sex workers from the floor of Parliament during question time. It's alleged he sent an SMS that read, I'm in QT, question time, and F I'm horny and I want you so bad, need you, I want you and I can't wait to F you all over and over again. Wow. Uh, he allegedly <laughs> invited the woman to State Parliament House in Macquarie Street after offering her $1,000 for sex and later allegedly sent the woman a video of a man masturbating in a toilet. He stood aside as parliamentary secretary last week after the same woman accused him of sexual assault. He has denied that allegation. And an update on yesterday's briefing on Hong Kong. China has warned other countries not to criticise its sweeping changes to Hong Kong's political system. Beijing has almost halved the number of directly elected seats in Hong Kong's parliament, but Hong Kong's leader Carrie Lam says the basic voting system remains. The ultimate purpose of universal suffrage is still there. It has not been changed. All candidates will be vetted by authorities for loyalty and Lamb said the vetting committee will not screen out people based on their political views but rather weed out non-patriots. Uh, but critics warn it could mean the end of democracy in Hong Kong. All right, in just a moment, we take you to the Mexico-US border. What's the difference between locking a child in a cage in a chain link petition or in a child migration facility? Those definitions are part of a political war over the Mexican border, where President Joe Biden is being called a hypocrite from both sides of politics for detaining migrant children in detention facilities. In this briefing, we're going to find out what's going on with the US-Mexico border. Is Biden doing the same thing he accused Trump of? They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. So in February, a surge in Central Americans trying to cross the US border led the Biden administration to reopen migrant processing facilities used by Donald Trump. That's angered refugee advocates and one of the loudest voices on the left of his own party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She slammed the move as inhumane. And then on the conservative side as well, Annika Biden's being slammed. They're calling him a hypocrite for doing the same thing he criticised Trump for. We saw the Biden cages. We saw cage after cage after cage that the Biden administration has filled with kids. So where does the truth lie? Are these facilities as bad as the wire cages the Trump administration used, which Obama built? And has Biden's attempt at a more humane approach actually created a humanitarian problem? Dulce Garcia runs a humanitarian group called Border Angels and she's at a migrant camp in the Mexican city of Tijuana. Dulce, thank you for joining us there. What's happening in that camp and what worries you most? Yes, I'm at the encampment that has been named 
esperanza, which means hope. Because as people are arriving, the thing that they're holding on to is hope. So we have approximately 2,000 migrants right now in this encampment. Dulcie, how are the conditions there? We've seen varying reports about what these people are actually living in, whether that be cages or chained or in, in portable housing. What can you tell us about the conditions they're in? Yes, the folks that are arriving here at the border have no shelter whatsoever. They need even tarps and tents, basic food, basic necessities, um, food formula, diapers, wipers. Um, They didn't even have free access to bathrooms. So it's really horrible and heartbreaking what we're seeing at the border at the moment where these folks pretty much have been abandoned by the Mexican government and the U.S. government. But we still have families here. There's about 400 kids in this encampment. So you said the camp was called Esperanza, which means hope. Has that hope come from Joe Biden? Has has his political rhetoric given these people more hope that they will eventually be able to cross the border? Well, the Trump administration ensured the dismantling of the asylum process. So Trump took uh, very harsh, unprecedented measures to make sure that the asylum process was dismantled, that these folks had absolutely no hope except crossing through the mountains or the desert and risking their lives. This year, we continue to see deaths in our border. We still see people drowning in the in the rivers, still dying in the desert. So that's not changing. Now that we have the Biden administration in place, there's hope that one day the asylum process will be restored because Biden promised Do you believe these kids really are in similar cages to what they were under Donald Trump? A cage is a cage, whether it is cement or linked fences. Dulce Garcia from Border Angels there. So let's get a bigger picture from an Aussie reporter who's just spent five days on the border in Texas. Catherine Diss is the ABC's North American correspondent. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. You've just got back from the border. What was it like there? We went out on a patrol one night with some border agents and also the local constable's office and uh, around dusk uh, the first uh, groups of people started to arrive in batches of 5, 10, 15, 20 and by the end of the evening a few hundred people had been detained and taken off from there to an immigration processing facility, a temporary site under a bridge because that's the only location in which they're able to to process them at the moment. And then from there, they're taken to larger facilities across Texas, uh, you know, within the sort of area we were in, but also in places like El Paso and then larger cities like Dallas. So very busy. Uh, We're seeing record numbers uh, in the past sort of decade. And we saw a lot of families and a lot of unaccompanied children and teenagers making that journey across the Rio Grande River into Texas when we were there. How big is this Mm. surge at the moment? Can we sort of contextualise it? And also, what's their main claim in terms of refugee status? Is it economical? Is it political? What are they seeking asylum from? We are seeing the largest sort of numbers in at least a decade at this point in time, and that's likely to rise further. There are around uh, 16,000, 17,000 children in US custody at the moment in various different facilities. That is the highest number since 2010. So we are seeing uh, significant numbers of people try to cross. It is fair to say that this surge did start under Donald Trump, but it's really only in February and 
and, and this month, March, that we've really seen them jump considerably. And what we're hearing from people on the ground, I, I spoke to dozens of migrants who have come from countries in Central America, so places like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and they're telling me that uh, they're either fleeing a gang or a cartel, uh, their society isn't safe, or they're coming for economic reasons. We've seen terrible economic conditions in Central America. They've been hit by coronavirus, but also two hurricanes um, which swept through the region late last year and destroyed um, vast areas and also livelihoods and homes. Was there any mention of Joe Biden's stance on border mm. policy? Were, were they weighing up his, his rhetoric or even his actual policy and the perception that he would be softer on the border? I don't think that they really know who's necessarily in office. Um, these people are very poor. They don't have access to televisions or cable news networks like we do. But what they get is a signal from the traffickers, the people smugglers, the cartels. These are the people that they rely upon to be able to make that journey from their home country and into the United States. So what those people are telling um, these very poor villagers is that now is the time to come. Joe Biden is going to be friendlier to you. Um, and then on his first day in office, he moved to reverse the Remain in Mexico policy, a program that is called the Migrant Protection Program that was put in place under Donald Trump. And that essentially meant that in anyone that was coming into America um, had to wait in Mexico for their asylum claim to be heard by a US court. So that led to thousands of people having to remain in Mexico in squalid conditions in camps across the border until their day in court was heard. That means the door is now open. Biden has said that there's seasonal factors at play too, that it might be, you know, coming into warmer weather. Does that hold mm. true to you? Yes, there are seasonal factors at play, but the numbers don't lie. And um, we are seeing that steadily increase uh, to a point where we're expecting around 130,000 in the month of March. Border Patrol agents are telling me they expect that number to continue to rise. So, Catherine, one particularly divisive point of, of Biden's policy here is the reopening of the Carrizo Springs facility in Texas where teenagers are being held, we believe around 700. They reopened that in late February and they're being criticised by the left of their own party and then the conservative commentators on the right as well calling Biden a hypocrite because when Trump was president, the Democrats were slamming him for locking kids in cages. So where does the truth lie here? Is Biden doing a similar thing that he accused Trump of doing? I think in essence, it is safe to say that he's having to make those steps because there really isn't any other option for him. Joe Biden, I think, would say that they're being held in facilities that are inappropriate. But um, if you ask the aid and humanitarian workers on the ground that I've spoken to, they would say that you can't simply let them onto the street. So the better place for them to be would be in a location where they can be fed and they can have shelter. There's some, some key distinctions I'd love you to clear up for us because um, I guess one of them is about the actual facilities that the children are being kept in, whether they are the same cages or or chain-linked partition, um, depending on the language you want to use, or different kind of facilities. I've seen some images of more like um, 
the dongers that we see in mining camps here in Australia with bars, but also air conditioning. Uh, And then the other distinction I'd love you to clear up for us is, I guess, the reasons these teenagers are being locked up under under Trump. I believe the accusation was they were being separated from their families, but under Biden, the argument is that these were unaccompanied minors. So can you clear up those distinctions for us? They certainly are sectioned off into different areas and they're crowded. They don't look like they're particularly nice living conditions, um, but they certainly don't look like the cages, those images that we saw under under the Trump administration. It's very nuanced. It's mm. it's not clear. It's it's difficult to comprehend or understand unless you've seen it happen. I mean, it, it's baff- it was baffling to me before I went to even think that a 10-year-old child would travel across the border, across the Rio Grande River on a raft without their parent. But I saw that just the other day. So some parents do send their children because they know that they will not be turned around. Can't help but think back to the the big debate about asylum seekers here in Australia and, and Labor coming to power and wanting to show a more humanitarian face, but then ending up with a nightmare of people dying at sea. And we all know the way it played out after that. Do you think this will become a massive political problem for Joe Biden? Look, I think it's one of his biggest challenges in his first 100 days in office. This has certainly escalated a lot faster than what even we thought as reporters. I have sort of been monitoring this situation prior to him getting into office and then soon after. And um, I was even shocked by how quickly the numbers started to climb. It could well be become quite a serious situation if they don't manage to uh, put children into more humane facilities or place them with families. Because when you have close to 20,000 unaccompanied children and teenagers currently in the custody of United States officials, that's not a good look. Catherine Diss from ABC News there. So, Tom... There's quite a lot going on here. It appears that the cage argument comparing them doesn't quite stack up. But there is an argument that perhaps Biden's policies are leading to a bit of a crisis on the border. Yeah, so we heard that grab from Joe Biden at the start of this segment accusing Trump of separating kids from their families. And so the administration was doing that under Trump. But it seems Biden's policy of allowing these children to cross the border ends up with a similar result because then the families are sort of forced to decide whether to separate and send their kids alone. And that seems to be what's happening. So ultimately, the outcome is kind of similar. This is something we've seen in Australia too, isn't it? When a new administration comes in and perhaps they change or tinker with border policies, and it does lead to a change in the way people react and and people try and get into a country. Do you see those correlations as well? Yeah, I think so. I think there's this, this will in the Biden administration to provide a more humanitarian solution. But then by doing that, if if more people end up coming to the border, you've actually created a, a problem of a greater scale. Tomorrow on The Briefing, how farmers feel about net zero. Listener.